Yeah, it's certainly at the time of the year of the invite, isn't it? I mean, we get invitations all the time right now. I mean, are you, are you getting, you know, invitation, you know, invitations to this party, that party, uh, graduation parties, um, anniversary parties, invitations to, um, uh, you know, homemaker parties and Tupperware parties, you know, just, just parties. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that we get invited to. And one of the weirdest things that I ever got invited to was... And Tyne and I, we, we got invited to somebody else's family reunion. I mean, just think about it. You don't want to go to your own family reunion, let alone invite somebody. But, but they needed an official prayer, you know. Someone to come in, the God Squad needed to be called up, bring in the God Squad so that we could pray over this meal to make sure that we don't poison one another. Uh, and so we go there, and this family was a little odd. No, Weird. And, um, and, 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 and they invited us to this thing, and they didn't even talk to each other. You know? Have you ever been in that situation where they don't talk to each other? I mean, no one... And there wasn't one conversation that we did not initiate. I mean, Tyne and I, if we were going to talk to somebody, we had to always speak first. The only couple that we knew there was the couple that invited us. It was weird. They had weird traditions. Just strange, they did just weird things. They just did strange things, particularly not talk to each other. And they complained about the food. That was part of their tradition. You could tell they were used to it. Just, just weird things. And I, and, I did, you know, and I thought about this. I said, I would never invite someone to my family reunion. There's too many weird people in my family, <laughs> including me. I mean, you just wouldn't do it. Just wouldn't, you wouldn't do it because we have weird traditions. We play, we play a game called Donkey. It's a card game. And whenever you get out of the game, you get yee-haw, yee-haw. I mean, you don't do that in front of people that don't know the tradition. You don't do weird stuff, right? You don't invite people to your family reunion that aren't part of the family because it's weird. Well, sometimes I think that's what we think about inviting people to church. I mean, there's some weird things. We sing songs that have words like Ebenezer in it. (laughs) What is an Ebenezer? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. I don't know. You know, we do weird things. We take a little piece of bread, some juice. It's a little weird. Why don't they serve a meal? You know? You know? I mean, just some of it, we just, so we don't invite. Because it's like coming to, inviting someone to somebody else's family reunion. It's why we don't do it. You know, we just a little weird. And yet, Jesus calls us to invite people to Christ, to himself, to his church. And historically, the way that it's been done is that first thing is that you convince people to believe the right things, to believe the truth. Historically, for the last 500 years, um, since the uh, time of uh, Martin Luther, the idea was to get people to believe rightly. That was the important thing. That was the next. And if they, were, if they were, um, would believe the right things, then they were allowed to belong. You were allowed to enter into relationship with them. And you entered into relationship with them, and they were to belong then. And then the last part is, is then they could, the last thing is they could participate. They could serve if they believed right 
if they belonged right, then they could behave right and serve. And that's the way historically it's been done year in, year out. And yet today we find that that's not the way of reaching people. We live in a different culture. We live in a culture that does not believe in truth. That, that, that there is... How many, how many people do you know, if you were to ask them the question, and maybe even yourself, ask, you, ask, do you believe in absolute truth? Do you believe that there's an absolute truth? Many people would say no. Many people in this room probably would say no. Or at least I'm not sure. Is there an absolute truth? And so to begin with belief doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. So do we have a biblical example of, of how to, to, to invite someone to Jesus Christ, and invite them to church in, in, in a different way, in a different format, and maybe, maybe a way that we can go back and look at, at Scripture and see how maybe Jesus approached a person in a different way. And we do have that example. And it's in John chapter 4. And we're going to start with the fourth verse. John chapter 4. We're start with the fourth verse. This is a great story. It's early in, the, in Jesus' ministry, and it goes, Now he had to go through Samaria. Now for, for you and I, that's not that big a deal. Go down from Galilee down to Judea and um, um, walk through Samaria. Not that big of a deal. But the problem is for Jesus and for, for Jewish people, not so much for Jesus, but for Jewish people as a whole, that was sort of taboo. You, you sort of, if you could, walk around. And it's not that they would never go down through Samaria because it was the straightest shot, but they, they would avoid it if they could. Because the Samaritans were compromisers. They, they compromised whenever the exile happened years before. There's a big exile. There were some people who were left behind. They were the poor people of the Samaritan region. They were left behind, and they interbred with the people of the land. They ended up changing their beliefs, and politically, they were weak. And so they were compromisers. They were just basically compromisers. And so you, they didn't want to have the Jewish people who thought themselves as pure wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. So verse 5 goes on. So they came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was the sixth hour. Now, there is... Jacob's well, it does exist. And it's, it's an interesting well because it's a well in which the water flows as fresh water. It's a spring. It's, the, the well there is it's not just you know, dug down, down you know, a hole you know, with, a, with a crank on thing you know, you know, to get the water. There's a, there's a water. You know, it's, it's flowing. It's a flowing. It's fresh water. It's fresh water. Okay? So it really exists. It's really there in, 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 in that place. Now, there's a church nearby there right now, the Orthodox Church. It's near there. It's not quite finished um, because of some wars and things that they have over in the Middle East. You might have heard of that before. I'm not sure. Okay, but it says here, it's the sixth hour. The sixth hour. Now, what's the sixth hour? What time of the day is it? Important to know this. Know what time it is? It's 12 o'clock noon in Samaria, in the desert land. So guess what? What, what, what kind of temperature are we having there? Hot. Keep that in mind. Just hold on to that thought right there. It's hot weather. All right? Now, next verse, verse 7 says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, here's why you have to keep the, word, the hot thing involved. Women at this time did not draw water at noon. Because why? It's hot. They didn't come alone. They came with other people. They came with... with, with um, 
Um, they're friends. She didn't have any friends. It's hot. She comes by herself. And we'll find out why later. But it's hot. She comes by herself, and Jesus is there. And then Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? Verse, verse 7. And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, this is weird. Here, Jesus is crossing a line. He's crossing the line. He actually is crossing two lines. First of all, he's crossing a line, a Jew to a Samaritan. You don't talk to him. The second line is man to woman. You don't talk to a woman if you're a Jewish man at this time. Now, to us, that sounds a little weird, a little odd, but this is the way it was. Okay, this is the way it was. You didn't cross that line. The other thing that's weird about this is that Jesus sends his disciples to go get food in town. That means they're going to eat Samaritan food, which is a little bit of a stretch. Sometimes you had to do it, but it's just a little bit of a stretch. So, 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 so keep, keep that in mind. And so what Jesus does here, he invites this woman into a relationship by asking her for a cup of water. See, whenever you... Ask someone for a cup of water and you drink with them at this, in this culture, that means you're associating with them. That means you're becoming a friend with them. That means you're becoming together with them. All right? Now, you, now you and I might not understand that, but for them, it was inviting them into a relationship. Now, I'm in a small group, and one of the things that our small group does is that we, what do we do, guys, in my small group? We eat. All right? Now, I know that we don't have a plan, Joe. We realize that. And so, no, I was thinking, I was, I'm thinking about hamburgers tonight on the grill. You know, what do you think? Hamburgers, you know, some buns. Uh, do you want to bring, what do you, what do you, what do you want? I, I'm going to bring the hamburgers. You'll bring, this is why we let her in our group. She brings chocolate, right? Right, Annette? That's why we, because she brings chocolate. All right? We, we have that. We, we eat together. Know what that eating together is? It's fellowship. We're associating with one another. We're in relationship. And that's what Jesus does here. Now, it's very subtle to you. It's very subtle. You wouldn't see that there unless you know the culture and what's going on. So verse 9 continues on. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. See, she knows. She knows the rules. She knows the taboos. You don't cross these lines. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You know what that word associate means? We don't use your, your, your utensils. We don't use your knives and forks. We don't use your cups and, and saucers. We don't use your stuff. Anything that's going to touch our lips. We don't use your stuff. A little strange, but that's what they're saying. Okay? The Samaritan's woman's reaction is one of disbelief. But see, Jesus here not only invites this woman into relationship, she invites her into service. See that? Give me a glass of water. Do something for me. Interesting, isn't it? Invites her into service. Now, I've had people actually call me on the phone and will say something like this. Jeff, why are you letting this person be a greeter? Why are you letting this person play in the band? They don't even believe. They don't. They don't believe in Jesus. Not all of our band. (laughs) (laughs) This person, or 
why is this person greeting? They don't, aren't members. Why are you letting that happen? Why are you doing that? Because Jesus is an example. I don't need someone to believe in Jesus to shake somebody's hand. I just need a friendly face. And if you met some Christians, they're not very friendly. So I just need a friendly heathen. Hand the bulletin out. Shake a hand. I don't need our piano player to, to know Jesus. I need her to know G and A and A sharp. That's what I need her to know. Right? I need my drummer to know how to beat the drum, preferably on time. Right? Now, but there are certain places that we need to have people who believe in Jesus, right? Like our elders. Guess what? They all believe in Jesus. I know that's comfort to you. It's a comfort to me. Right? Amen. <laughs> our teachers. Our teachers are people who believe in Jesus, right? They have to be. You don't teach something you don't know. But if there's a helper in the nursery and that kid knows how to wipe a backside, that's all that they need to know. Okay? Service. Service is good. Because you're inviting them in. You're inviting them into a next step. You're inviting them in. That was extra. It's not on my notes. Okay. Verse 10. Um, Jesus answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you water. Now, Jesus here sort of starts turning things, doesn't he? He starts spinning things. He starts changing the thing. He enters into and invites her into conversation. Look, if you knew who, you, you know, if you knew who was asking you for the water, you would ask, ask him for water because the water he has is better than the water you have. So, so, so Jesus starts spinning things and start, start, invites her into a conversation with her. And he tells her this. Or she, he, she tells him, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can I get you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Again, she's thinking at a certain level. And then Jesus answered and says, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you see the difference is that this conversation begins. Well, what water? What water are you talking about? Don't you have a, you don't have anything to get the water from. Are you better than Jacob? Um, um, No, and then Jesus says, no, 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 no. The water I'm offering you is water that's going to well up within your soul. It's going to bubble up through you. Now, Christians, brothers and sisters, some of us need to be reminded that you ha- we have the Holy Spirit within us and that it wells up within us and that there ought to be some joy in our lives, not that there is not life that doesn't have a two-track thing where there's, there's sorrow and there's happiness, but joy ought to be in, in the center of who we are because it should well up within our soul like springs of living water. And see, sometimes when I look out here today, like maybe now, I wonder if there's any joy springing up from living water in this room. Or maybe, is there any? Okay, some little joy, a little happiness. You know, you know, we gotta have, I mean, not that, not that I'm expecting, you know, you know, it's early, it's Sunday, it's rainy outside, you know, but, you know, 
Doesn't mean there's not pain in life. I'm not saying that, but there ought to be a little joy welling up like springs of living water. You know? Like the old Baptist preacher, you know, springs of living water. You know what that's based on? A relationship with Jesus Christ. That's daily and genuine. It's real. And when you have that daily, real, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, that water can spring up from within the soul. And that's what he is offering this lady. He's offering this lady springs that constantly flow of living water that flows from her soul. And that's what the offer is. And isn't that great? Isn't that, I mean, that is great stuff. But she's still on a different plane. She's still thinking physical water. Look what he says. she says in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In other words, I don't want to come here alone anymore. I do not want to come and draw water at noon. I don't want to do this anymore. Figure out a different solution. Give me this water so I'm not thirsty anymore. Physically thirsty. Now, Jesus really does something mean. Sort of. Because he gets around all the garbage. And he says to her, Go call your husband and come back. Verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Ooh. I mean, think about it. Doesn't Jesus sort of go right after the, the issue <laughs> right there? Ooh. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, and you'll see throughout the whole, whole Bible, whole New Testament, and, and where, where Jesus will hit our greatest need, our greatest want, our greatest sin, our greatest desire, and we'll just touch it. And we'll just tap on it. Say, there it is. See, he realized that this woman's problem was that she was bad on relationships. Can you see that? Five husbands. If you have five husbands, it's not about the husbands. (laughs) Okay? At some point, at some point, it's about you. (laughs) All right? And so Jesus taps that place, doesn't he? And he hits that hurt. And he touches that sensitive spot. Have you ever played ball with kids or, you know, watch kids play and, and you're playing with them and, and all of a sudden one of them who's sort of like tired of playing will all of a sudden, oh, you hit my, 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 my bad leg. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden there's the bad leg. Oh, it already hurts already. It's, it's the sore spot. And yeah, three weeks ago, they got bumped by somebody, and they got a little black and blue mark, and it was gone. But now it's the bad leg, and you touched it. Well, for this lady, Jesus touches the bad leg, the sore spot. Now, what she does, look what she does. This is really great what she does here. Verse verse 19 says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you are Jews claim that... The place that where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Know what she does? She switches it, gears, doesn't she? What does this have to do with the five husbands and the one you're living with right now isn't your, your, your husband? What does that have to do with it? No. See, it's always easier to go to theology than to go to the real issue. 
It's always easy to go talk about doctrine than it is to go talk about, okay, where, where, where actually is, is Jesus? Where does the gospel actually go and involve himself in this part of a person's life? It's always easier to get off on philosophy than to stay on the issue. And that's what she does. Verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He tells her, first of all, it doesn't matter. Make a difference where. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. He tells them that. That's the second thing. The third thing, he says, yet a time is coming and a time has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so he says this, true worshipers will worship God in spirit. question was asked to me in the hallway after the first service. What does that mean? To worship God in spirit. It means don't just play the game. Don't just go through the tradition. Don't just go through the ritual. Stand up, sit down, pray, take the piece of cracker, take the juice, show up. It's about having a real relationship with God, a genuine, authentic, daily relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's about worshiping with all that you have. And it's worshiping him in truth, according to his word, according to who he says he is, not who we want him to be, not for what he, we want him to do for us, but rather who he actually is and what he actually says that he will do. We worship him that way. Then the woman said in verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus does this thing. He does this thing. He says, Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And here's where Jesus, after he has the, the relationship with this woman, after he has this, this act of service that he calls her to, after he has, he has brought her into conversation, then he says who he is. He is Jesus. And calls this woman to belief. Verse 27. Just then the disciples returned. And were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Again. This is very culture. You know. What is he doing talking to a woman? I mean it's just, just part of the deal. Okay. Just part of culture. But no one asked. What do you want? Or. What are you doing? Do, why are you talking with her? Verse 28. Then leaving the water jar. The woman went back to the town. And said to the people. This is great. Come and see the man who told me everything I did. Now, you, can you imagine? Here's a small little dinky town, you know, probably not bit much bigger than the number of people in this room. And she runs back to town and says, guess what? I met a man who told me about all the different marriages I had and that the guy I'm, I'm living with, sleeping with right now, isn't my own husband. He, but he told me all these things. Come out and see him. I mean, do you realize the change that has happened to this woman, that this woman does have the spring of living water up in her soul because she has gotten caught in contact with Jesus, the Messiah? I mean, she is so excited about the fact that Jesus touched her life, informed her life, got her to believe in the Christ, the Messiah, that she was so excited that she goes back to the town and says, hey, guess what? He's, he's telling me, told, told me everything that I've ever done. I mean, none of us would do that unless we had springs of living water flowing up into our soul. And I mean, I just, I, I always get amazed at that. I just can't imagine. Come and see the man who told me everything 
I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of town and made their way towards him. Isn't that great? She becomes a teller, an inviter to Jesus. So, how can you invite someone to living water? I think Jesus gives us an example here. First of all, invite the thirsty into relationship. Invite the thirsty into relationship. So it's a place where they can belong. But they can belong with you. Be a friend. Secondly, invite the thirsty into service, into conversation. Let them practice. Let them practice doing God things. And lastly, invite the thirsty into belief in Jesus. Doesn't that sort of throw the whole system off a little bit? The order? But see, if they're in a real relationship with you and they see that you have a real relationship, with authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, they're going to get thirsty. See, this woman didn't even realize she was thirsty until Jesus was able to touch where she was. And one of the things I love so much about our Mother's Day Out program is that they do this. And um, time and time again, what Jan and Linda and the whole team of teachers do is that they simply build relationships with the moms, the dads, who bring their kids here. Sometimes they invite them into service, and they say, hey, can you help cut out lambs for me? You know, butterflies this year, kind of thing, right? They enter in conversations because people have real needs, and they're, they're, they have places where things are sore, and they'll bring it to Jan or to Linda or to one of the teachers. And then know what happens? Sometimes they come here. Or even before that, they come and have faith in Jesus Christ. And see, that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about getting some people to feel belonged, cared for, loved, and then they come to faith in Jesus Christ.